Well, it's been a rich morning already, and uh, I love in church where there's so much life happening, it's hard to make transitions because everybody's into it, and uh, it's just uh, the beauty of the kingdom and love that you're here. Uh, we've been looking for the last several weeks at who we are going to become as individuals in the next 10 years. We've been learning from Jesus the principles of life, the principles of his ways uh, that deeply shape us. And if we respond to them, like Tom and Autumn said, with a yes in our hearts, they position us and prepare us and, and make us fruitful. And we all want a fruitful future. Well, as we've been thinking about 10 years down the road, I've been thinking about the last 10 years, both as an individual, as my immediate family, and also as a church, uh, for us as a community. And I thought it was fitting this morning that Tom and Autumn were in town who were pillars in this house and then sent out halfway around the world to love Jesus and to love people and to plant churches in a nation where there's not much gospel access. And that was 10 years ago. And I was just thinking about my, my own family. My oldest daughter uh, turned 10 in 2018. She turned 11 in 2019. And I know you parents in the room, you can think about your, your little ones and then they get bigger. And I just remember as this little kind of squatty, big-cheeked, little blonde-headed girl, and now she's tall and she's beautiful and she's got interests and personality and plans. And it's just amazing to see time pass. And it's amazing to look at our church over the last 10 years and see our church grow and mature and, and be strengthened in the grace of God and people being sent out uh, all around the world uh, from faraway places to here in our own city, living on mission, living with Jesus. And it's just been uh, amazing. I want to share with you today a little bit about who I believe we're going to be in 10 years. I want to talk to you a little bit about the vision for our community, the vision for our church, and who we're becoming. Uh, I'm <clears throat> going to speak a little bit like a father today. I've got my best dad sweater on just to play the part. And I was thinking about my, my own family uh, over the, the holidays and looking at my kids as they get older and just realizing they're not going to be uh, with me forever. Hopefully, hopefully they, they head out one day, um, you know, and so realizing the, the sobriety of time. It's like, wow, uh, this is precious, precious time. And I want to make sure that we are, Christina and I are intentional about what we're imparting to our kids, about what we're shaping them with. I really want them to have a really healthy uh, and realistic, true view of who God is, a living relationship with Jesus. I want them to have a healthy sense of their own identity in Christ. And I want them to know the mission that our family, not just our immediate family, but the family of Jesus is called to. So I've been thinking about ways to instill that in them, and Christina and I talked about the idea of putting together a family mission and vision statement, and I've always hated the idea of doing that because I really fear being boxed in. So I think, man, I've got to have this perfect thing that answers every question in life because if I write it down, then I'm going to feel like I need to do it, and so I just get squeamish. I don't know if any of you are that way. I'm that way about goals. I'm that way about kind of all these different things, I can just get a little too perfectionistic. But we felt like, man, just put perfection aside and we're just going to lean into the Lord uh, because we think this is really important for our, for our family. And so Christina and I, we thought about who has God made us? Like not just who do we want to become, 
But who have we been and who are we now? Have we seen the grace of Jesus at work in our lives? And there's some things about us that we want to grow and mature, and there's some things that we want to leave behind. I'll give you an example. My, my one-year-old uh, at dinner time screams through every dinner without fail, <laughs> screaming. Um, and, and, you know, I hope that as he grows that he doesn't carry that habit with him. It's going to be very awkward he goes on his first date, and they bring the food, and he just yells for an hour. It's going to be, you know, not good. He's going to be with me a lot longer uh, if, if he doesn't lose that habit, right? He also, uh, without fail, and this is every meal, not just dinner. He doesn't just save this for dinner. He will take his plate of food, and when you're not looking, he will take it, and he will dump it on his head, and he'll rub it in his hair, and just have all that, like, grease from, like, chicken, like, in his hair, avocado. I mean, it's just every time. And you try to say, I'm going to stay on him this meal. He's not going to do this. I'm going to outsmart him. And he still gets away with it every single time. The other thing he likes to do is he likes to hurl his sippy cup and his forks across the table at you. So if you eat dinner with my family, it's dangerous. He has a good arm. I'm hoping for a college scholarship. uh, But I'm also hoping that we all live through his rocket launcher phase. So if you come over to my house and there's a fork lodged into my wall... You know why? It's river. Those are things that I hope that he grows out of, that he leaves behind as time progresses. But he's also, even at one, he is a little ball of joy. And he brings such laughter to our family. uh, It's such a gift. And that's something that I hope he holds on to and carries with him, because I believe that's of the Lord and part of his calling on his life. And so those are things that I want to remain and build upon and grow and mature. Similar with our family, we just realize there are things about who we are and who we've been that we want to double down on, that we want to reinvest in, that we want to keep leaning into and watch those things grow up. And there's some other things that we want to leave behind, hopefully like the the screaming. And so we put together this statement uh, for our family based on scripture about who God is and who we are and what we're called to be about. And we've been going through it uh, each week. I told the kids, I said, hey, we're going to do this once a week uh, for the whole year because it takes a while for things to settle in and to sink deep. Life doesn't, good things don't happen quickly most of the time, right? It takes a while. So we've been going through it. And man, in many ways, this is the most difficult parenting season that my wife and I have been through. And yet as we've done this, I've just sensed not just in me, but in my wife and in my kids, just this fresh passion, fresh fire, fresh confidence, fresh just umph for the Lord and a sense of confidence about who they are and a sense of calling. And we've been reading it and talking about how we've lived those things out and how we plan on living those things out. And it's been so amazing and it's shaping us. And I realize how needed that is for my immediate family to have this thing that unites us together, that brings us together and helps us focus on who God is, who we are, and what we're called to be about. And as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about y'all. The Bible says that the church is like a family. And I've been thinking about the need for our family to have those times of, of clear, consistent, and compelling vision and mission, something that unites us all and speaks about who God has made us, speaks about who God is and speaks about where he's leading us. We need that to help our family become all that God has for us. 
And so I want to share with you a few things today uh, along those lines about who we've been, who God has been to us, what we've been about, and what we're going to be about as we go on. Because I believe that what we do is going to flow out of who we are. And one thing I've learned about myself, I'm 39, I'm on the way to 40 this year, and I'm excited about that uh, because I, I think maturity is just a beautiful thing, and I'm getting more mature. And one of the ways that I've realized I've been an immature leader, I've been your lead pastor for six years, um, I love new things. I love starting new things. I love things changing up. I love things on the move. And as a part of God's wiring in me, and yet, if that isn't mature, if that isn't seasoned, it can leave people just like, where are we going today? I've realized as a leader in our church that my own kind of um, just into a lot of different things hasn't provided the level of consistent, compelling clarity that I believe the Lord has for us. And so I'm growing. And I told you last week, if you're looking for a pastor who knows everything, you need to go to a different church, but you're not going to find any pastor who knows everything, right? Jesus is the only one who does. So I, I'm learning and growing. I imagine you are too. And I'm learning and growing as a leader. And so I hope uh, that this year that I can lead you uh, with better consistency in the area of vision and, and mission, uh, because I believe that, that rallies our family. And so I want to share with you a few things today about who we are, who we've been, and who we are becoming as a family. If you'll turn your Bible to Isaiah 61. Isaiah 61, this passage of scripture, uh, we actually began in February of last year. We studied a big chunk of it because Jesus quotes it at the beginning of his ministry. And so last spring, right around this time, we went week by week through these phrases about what they mean. And I want to take us back there because I think this speaks to who we are and who we've been and who we're becoming. So if you'll open your Bibles, I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Uh, I recommend the paper one, but if you've got the digital one, you know, the best Bible is the one you'll read, I believe. So just if you'll get that out, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to look on with a friend. You don't need to feel bad about not having that. We're going to be in Isaiah 61, verse 1, starting there. And this is a prophecy that was given before Jesus came, but it is about Jesus. Jesus said of this passage of scripture that it was fulfilled in him. So as we start reading this, we're reading uh, about Jesus. And it says this in verse one, it says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, me there being Jesus. When you become a follower of Jesus, the spirit of God comes on you. That is definitely true. But the primary sense of this passage is speaking about Jesus, that the spirit of the Lord was upon him because the Lord anointed him, anointed Jesus to proclaim good news to the poor. The Lord has sent Jesus to bind up the brokenhearted. The Lord has sent Jesus to proclaim freedom for the captives. The Lord has sent Jesus to release from darkness prisoners. Man, isn't Jesus awesome? Yeah. Like when you read that, it's just like, wow, God, you are so good. Jesus, you are so good. You realize that Jesus doesn't just come to proclaim good news. He is good news. Like in himself is life. 
and his life was the light of men and women. The image that's used in the Bible to describe him, Jesus gives of himself, is the bread of life. And in his culture, it was a bread-based culture. Bread was what you needed to survive. It's what eating centered around. We don't live in that same type of culture, but you get the idea. And when he's saying, I'm the bread of life, he's saying, I'm the life that makes life worth living. I'm the life that brings true life to everyone. I'm the life in which you find your real life. And he said, whoever comes to me will never hunger. Whoever comes to me will never thirst because Jesus is more than enough. And we read here how he is more than enough, that he brings good news to the poor. For many of you, that's your story. That's your testimony. You read that and you're like, man, I highlight that verse. That is what God has done in my life. He's been good news in my poverty. He says, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. He's a healer. And again, many of you probably should do a glory wave. Amen. You realize God has healed you. Your brokenness and your brokenheartedness. He brings freedom to the captives. Some of you know that's your story. That's your song that Jesus set you free. And if you start to talk about it, you relive it again and the sweetness of it again and how awesome Jesus is. Others of you, man, released from darkness. That may be your story. You may be in that right now. You may feel like, man, I am poor and have nothing. You may feel like you are a captive. You may feel like you're in darkness. I want you to know it's not just who Jesus was. It's not just some stories from people in our church from long ago. This is what Jesus is doing today. So I want to speak hope into your life. I believe that the Lord is breaking cynicism and despair off of our church in this area. And I want you to see how awesome Jesus is. Because he is the bread of life. So I've got a little image for you to help you connect with that. Bread. There we go. The bread of life. And what we have been about as a church and what we have been about as individuals and what we will remain by the grace of God to be about is proclaiming and savoring and encountering Jesus, the bread of life. The one who sets captives free, the one who is good news to the poor, the one who gives sight to the blind, will be about Jesus, and he's the bread of life. So the way I want to lead us in saying this together is that we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. And that's really important to capture Because in the gospel, we're brought into the family of God. We're not just spiritual seekers trying to go around for an encounter with God. Hope he's out there. Hope he shows up today. No, 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 no. You are a loved and valued son of the king. You are a loved and valued daughter of the king. You're brought into the family. Jesus said, hey, when you pray, I don't want you to say, God, I hope you're out there. I want you to come because you have a good heavenly father. And I want you to say, Daddy, I'm here. We are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus and live a lifestyle of encountering him, not just a a junior high youth camp high. We want those. 
but we want a lifestyle of encountering and feasting on and celebrating the bread of life, Jesus himself. I need to get an amen from the church on that one. We'll do it again for the people in the back. I'm serious. This is good news. I need to get an amen from the church on that one. We're sons and daughters who encounter Jesus. Okay, now it gets even better if that's possible. Look in verse uh, three. It said, Jesus, who he is, provides for those who grieve in Zion. And then it begins to describe what that looks like. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. Think about a life that looks like ashes. That's just shattered by the pain, by poor choices, by things done, whatever it may be. And what this is saying is that Jesus, he's so good that he comes into our ashes and he transforms ashes into beauty. He makes ashes come to life and brings beauty out of destruction. That's what Jesus does. And again, for many of you, that's your story. I know you. I know what he's done. You know what he's done. And he's put a song of praise in your lips because you have experienced that. He gives the oil of joy instead of mourning. Anybody in here gone through a season of mourning where it just feels like everything is heavy? Who's gone through one? Okay, the rest of you are liars or hopeless optimists, one or the other, because we've all been there, right? And it says here that Jesus brings the oil of joy in our mourning. He doesn't tell us, don't mourn, get your act together. He comes to us in our mourning and he meets with us there and he transforms our mourning and he gives us joy. Our circumstances may not change, but we find him in the middle of it. And we have joy. I, I have the oil of joy, like I bought it on Amazon. I don't know if it really is the oil of joy, but just as an aside... I have that on my desk, and I put it on myself every time I come up to preach because, I man, I'm so into this. Jesus transforms our mourning into joy. And some of us need the oil of joy to turn those uh, sorrow into mourning, I mean, uh, sorrow into praise today. And that's what he does. He gives a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. So I think spirit of despair is like Eeyore on Winnie the Pooh, like everything is gloomy, right? And Jesus comes in. And he transforms us and he gives us a song of praise. So rather than everything's falling apart, everyone hates me, no one likes me. He says, yes, God, you're so good. I can't get enough, God. He puts a song of praise in our lips. That's what he does. That's transformation. And many of you know that's your story. Now look what it says happens to these people who've encountered Jesus like this. Is that they will be called Oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Who doesn't want that said about their life? Like this isn't saying that Jesus is going to transform you into a used Christmas tree that's so crispy you got to put it out on the side of the road. No, it says Jesus is going to work so powerfully in your life that he makes you into an oak of righteousness that shines forth his glory. That's amazing. And this is what he's done in our midst. This is what he's done in so many lives here in this church. And this is what he's doing even today. And for some of you, this is this year. Is he's making you into an oak of righteousness. He's changing you and transforming you for his glory. 
So I want to put this image up of the tree, the oak of righteousness. And the way we say this around here is we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus and practice his ways. Because it's as we practice his ways, as we take Jesus' teaching on prayer, that word about coming to God as a father, as you begin to put that into practice, it changes you. As you take his teaching on forgiveness, and you say, you know those teachers that did me wrong when I was a junior in high school that I've just carried bitterness toward, and it sunk a message in my heart that I was rejected, I'm going to forgive them because Jesus has forgiven me, and then all of a sudden you're getting free. That's how he sets people free, right? We take his teachings and we begin to put them into practice. We begin to follow him. We begin to live as disciples and we're transformed. And I love that we say practice the way of Jesus or practice his ways because it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. None of us are, right? No one is perfect at this, but it means I'm headed in the trajectory of Jesus. Like Tom and Autumn said, there's a yes in our hearts. We're going his way. And he transforms us in the process. So we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways. And then look at the next passage. Watch what happens to these oaks. What do they do? Verse four, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. So these same people who are transformed into oaks of righteousness, God not only works through them, they're not only amazed at who God is and what he does in them, but he begins to work through them in the lives of others. And they begin to be amazed at what God can do through us, right? That's why our our big vision is that we want to saturate Dallas with the goodness of the gospel, right? We want to see the city We want to see our nation and we want to see the nations of the world transformed. It's the prayer of Jesus that he taught us to pray, to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what happens. And we've reviewed this when the gospel, when the goodness of the gospel saturates a city, God is known. People are loved. Families are made whole and strengthened. Schools become places where there's not bullying or tearing people down, but people are released into their God-given destinies. Business becomes more creative because Jesus is incredibly creative. And when you follow him, you tap into his creativity and it becomes more humane. Profit isn't the only bottom line. Politics are transformed. They become more just. Works of mercy are strengthened. The poor are empowered. That's what happens. Some of the examples of when when the goodness of the gospel saturates a city. That's what we want to be about. And the way that we go about that is this mission that we're sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom here in Dallas, in our nation, and the nations of the earth. And so the image for that is the lion, the king of the jungle. Because we're not taking like a hammer and nails and going out to build the kingdom. We're not trying to fix people. We're just trying to display Jesus and he will do the rest. He'll be the one, right? And we just need to make him known. And I want you to know that God wants to use you. God wants to use you to rebuild desolate places in our world. 
God wants to use you to rebuild, as this said, ruined cities, ruined lives. God wants to use you. He wants to work through you to build his kingdom, to display his splendor. So we are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. That's who every Christian is, right? That's not like a church-specific thing. That's every believer is called to this. And that's what we want to pursue and we want to be about. If we do that, we'll see Dallas saturated with the goodness of the gospel. But not just Dallas, places far around the world. People going and recognizing the call of God in their life. So that whether someone's called to Park Cities, Plano, the Pentagon, or Pakistan, everyone has a mission in the kingdom. Everyone has a part to play. Everyone has meaningful work to do to make Jesus known. So I want to share with you a couple things about this year, a couple uh, practical details. I will say for every uh, practical person, numbers-minded person, you like stats and graphs and all sorts of things like that, uh, we have up on our website an annual report for 2018, something that we put together to try and provide a little more uh, detail for those of you that are detail-minded, but I don't want to go into that here. You can look at that online. I will send it out to you. Uh, in a newsletter this week, Uh, but I wanted to share with you a few things that we're going to be living, the way we're going to be living this out in 2019 that I think you uh, are interested in or would like to be interested in. Number one, uh, you'll notice we've been talking about the Alpha course, and this is something new that we're doing. Many, much of what we're doing is just building on what we've been doing, but this is something new that God actually put in the heart of one of our members uh, to, to, to pursue. So the Alpha Course is an environment for people that have questions about faith, questions about life. Maybe they don't feel like they have a place to talk about those things. Maybe they're exploring Christianity. It's a series of meals where people come together and have meaningful discussion in an environment where everyone can be respected and acknowledged. And it's been really fruitful around the world in helping people on the front end of encountering Jesus, on the front end of coming to know him. And so we're going to pursue this. We're going to offer it here through the church uh, this year. And we're going to see what the Lord does through it. And it starts in a couple weeks. And so if you are here and you're like, man, that sounds like where I'm at in life, that would be a good place for me to kind of get connected in. There's a table in the lobby. You can get some more information. Or if you're listening to this and you're like, I, I would like to be a part of like helping facilitate that. Again, there's a, t- a, lo- a table in the lobby after the service that you can get more information. That's one new thing that I wanted you to be aware of. A second thing that is kind of a recurring thing that I wanted to highlight because it's the time of year where we have enrollment for it are our discipleship schools. A big part of helping people encounter Jesus and be transformed and to build his kingdom uh, are our schools. And they are semester-long programs. It's one night a week. It's designed for people that have jobs or other commitments. It's not a full-time deal, uh, but it's Sunday nights from five to eight. It's a three-hour commitment each week, a couple weekend deals, some reading, but it's designed to give you connections with people, and it's designed to give you soul-strengthening exercises that help you develop a vibrant relationship with Jesus. The first one is called the School of Transformation. The second one is called the School of Ministry, and the School of Ministry You learn skills on how to love well, because Jesus has called us to love well. You learn about how to walk in the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 
and you learn how to make disciples. And so one of those two schools might be of interest to you, and I want to make sure you knew about it because enrollment for those closes February the 3rd. Uh, and so you can find out more information about that in the lobby or on our website. Uh, there's a table in the lobby after the service today. And then the third thing that I just wanted to remind you of is that this week coming up, uh, next weekend, we have our World Mandate Conference. And each year we have this weekend of coming together where we worship God, where we listen to his word being taught, where we meet with him, and it is about encountering Jesus. It's about practicing his ways. It's about building his kingdom. And I would love for everyone who calls Antioch Dallas their church home to be there. This is like a family reunion of sorts. And we want you at the family reunion. If finances are an option, please, or a, a obstacle, please let us know. We have some people that have offered up scholarships because they believe in what God does in these weekends so much. And so we can help you with that. So don't let finances or lack thereof hold you back. But that's this coming weekend, and you do need to register to be a part. It's online, uh, worldmandate.com, or it's on our website as well. So I want to invite you to stand here as we close. As you notice, uh, Sermon on Vision Sunday is a little shorter. Some of you like that. You're like, hey, could every week be Vision Sunday? But it's a different story. Uh, okay, uh, here's what I'd like to do. With our kids, Christy and I have realized when we go through the, the, the mission and the vision, we don't just want this to be something that, that mom and dad are saying. We've seen power in when we say it together and when we agree around it, and it becomes something that's embodied in all of our lives. And so each week this year, 2019, each week when we come together, uh, I want to lead us in a declaration based on this Isaiah 61 scripture, based on our mission, who we are, that's going to help this sink deep uh, in all of us and renew us and build us up and inspire us. Today, we're not going to go through the full thing, but I want to read with you. I'd, ask, I'd like for you to read with me uh, that statement that we uh, talked about, about we are sons and daughters. So if we can put that slide up, the full statement. I'd just like for us to say this together, read it together, and then I want to pray for all of us. So let's read it. We are sons and daughters who encounter Jesus, practice his ways, and build his kingdom in our city, nation, and nations of the earth. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we just say you're so awesome. You're the bread of life. You're the life that makes life worth living. And we just lift you up in this place, God. We ask that this year and our next 10 years would just be continuing to be about you being the main thing in our lives, that we would be sons and daughters who encounter you and live a lifestyle of knowing you and encountering you. Lord, I'm asking that you would uh, transform us all, that we would uh, grow into oaks of righteousness, plantings for the display of your splendor, Lord. Thank you that you've already built so many oak trees in this church, Lord, and that you're continuing to grow them and you're continuing to build new ones, God. I pray that we'd be a people who practice your ways and experience that transformation. Lord, I pray that it wouldn't just stop with us, Lord, but that you would work through us to rebuild ruined and desolate cities and lives. We might see Dallas, our nation, and the nations of the earth saturated with the goodness of the gospel of Jesus. And we're trusting your Holy Spirit. That this is not something that we're kind of trying to make happen. This is your initiative. And we're trusting the power of the Holy Spirit 
to be the motivating force and the strengthening force and the guiding force behind all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.